to bring to you the word of God to this morning from Philippians 4 verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. We are here to exalt Jesus Christ today, and there are so many ways that we can exalt him. We have been exalting him, and we will exalt him more Uh, When I was involved in the teaching of the Trinity in Ethiopia, it just occurred to me there are so many descriptions and titles of Jesus throughout the scripture that if you pile all of those things together, they kind of create its own doctrine. Some people feel weird about using a term like Trinity because Trinity is not in the Bible, and so that seems to be a stumbling place for them. But if we take uh, what the the Bible says as a whole about Jesus, we are amazed and in awe. At least we ought to be in awe. And so as I was sitting around doodling, I just started writing down titles and descriptions of Jesus that I could think of. This is not not even an exhaustive list, but we put... Uh, all of these on a slide, and I'm just going to read through them today just so that we have some kind of an idea of this Jesus that we're talking about. Let me read it from here because it's easier for me to see it this way. So who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man, the Alpha and the Omega, the image of the invisible God, the only mediator between God and man, the Word who was with God and was God, The word who became flesh and dwelt among us, he was the Messiah, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, the one who was, is, and is to come, the great I am, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the savior of the world, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is preeminent above all things, the one to whom be glory forever and ever, our great God and Savior, my Lord and my God. If we were in Ethiopia, people would say, Alleluia! Alleluia! Kind of a tough crowd today. Because we are here to praise this preeminent Jesus, the one who is preeminent above all things. Was he man? Yes, he was man. Was he God? Yes, he was God. How can he be God and man at the same time? I can only say that he was. I can't give a full description, and I don't even like some of the illustrations that are presented sometimes, you know, like an egg that has three parts and it's all one. And and that kind of thing doesn't really seem to do it for me. But if you just take the whole teaching of who this Jesus is from Genesis to Revelation, we are in awe. And we should be in awe of this Savior. He is our Savior. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to cherry pick from that list today just one of the titles of Jesus, and spend some time meditating on it. The one that really has attracted my attention is the Prince of Peace. And we know that from that great passage in Isaiah. Do we have a slide about that? Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, 
And his name shall be called, say with me, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And as I was dialoguing with Tab about a sermon at the end of the year, we got to thinking maybe peace is a pretty good subject to light on because we come to the end of one year or the beginning of another year. It's a time where there is some anxiety in our parts as we're wondering what 2019 will bring. 2018 brought some great stuff, but it brought some trials. And we're a little bit worried that maybe in 2019, in addition to some of the great stuff that might come, there might be also some trials. And peace might seem elusive. And so we want to think of how we can follow this Prince of Peace to the place of peace. I want us to think about traveling down a path with Jesus to a place of peace. I don't think it's a simple thing like saying, well, there's four steps to peace. I think oftentimes I make the mistake or we make the mistake of simplifying things that are not simple. No need to make something more complicated than it is, but I'd like to talk realistically about getting from the place where I am or where you are right now, which was perhaps not a place of peace, and getting us to a peace, to a place of peace, following a path to a place of peace. I'm thinking about different portions of that path that we may need to travel on. Some of those portions may be portions we spend a lot of time on because maybe it's hard to get from this portion of the path to the next portion of the path. It's not just four simple steps. But it is the pathway that leads to peace, and we are following the Prince of Peace. And that's the important thing, to get to a spot where we find the peace of God and the tranquility of God is really a part of our experience. Peace is not the absence of trouble. Nobody should stand up and promise that there will be no trouble in 2019. I certainly am not, am not promising that. Peace is not the absence of sources of stress. It's not the absence of sources of anxiety. But peace is the absence of anxiety. Peace is that place that you get to when you've been wrestling with something and it just doesn't make sense and you can't figure it out. You can't see your way clear through it. And then somehow there is some enlightenment and you see it and it's an aha moment and you're able to move forward. And you feel peace in that spot. That's the peace that we're seeking and it's peace that we find from the Prince of Peace our Savior and our Lord, the Lord Jesus. So as I thought about what passage to use for this, we thought that maybe this passage in Philippians would be ideal because it speaks about peace generally, but it breaks it down and helps us to see kind of what those portions of the path are like and what might be some things that we need to do in order to get to a place of peace, the place that I really want to be. Uh, the place that probably you really want to be also as we look forward into a new year. And I'm going to begin with a choice that I think all of us need to make as, as we move along towards this peace that we're looking for. And the first choice is a choice for joy. I believe if there's an interest in my heart in finding the spot of tranquility and dealing honestly and effectively with anxiety and stress next year, I think the first thing I need to do is choose joy. I need to make a decision for myself that I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. For me, it's going to be gladness of heart 
even when I look around and the circumstances appear to be circumstances which prevent me from experiencing gladness of heart, if I want to get to the place where I want to be, I feel like I have to start with joy. And so we choose joy. We look at Philippians 4 and verse 4, and of course, what do we see there? We see the verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And what does he say? Again, I say, rejoice. So he makes a simple command. He's going to make a couple of commands to us, along with some precious promises in this passage. Makes a simple command, and then he repeats it. Rejoice. He gives it as a commandment. Rejoice. Like one of the Ten Commandments. Maybe we could call it the Eleventh Commandment. Rejoice. Whatever, whatever your circumstances, whatever you do, choose joy. Allow there to be gladness of heart. Actually pursue that delighting in the Lord that will make a difference in your circumstances. It won't make things go away that are there. The sources of stress will not automatically go away. The sources of anxiety will not automatically go away. But there will be a different perspective that I will gain and you will gain if we choose joy. If we obey that where he says, rejoice. When we think about these verses, when we look at a command like that, we, there's always a, a tendency for somebody to say, but in my situation, that doesn't apply. Because there's always a tendency for us to say, my situation is a very tough situation, and I can't choose joy. I don't feel it. I don't have the emotion of joy. It might have been easy for the person writing this letter in the Bible to say rejoice. Might have sounded fine in the first century when they lived in easier times. But it's different for me. And so I just give this explanation that when we come to the book of Philippians in the New Testament, it's an epistle. An epistle is an instructional letter. One who was moved by the Holy Spirit, in this case the Apostle Paul, has this idea of some things that he wants to put out in terms of instructions. And so he writes these things out in epistle-like fashion, in letter-like fashion, addresses his audience, has things in mind that he wants to say, and one of the things is he wants to teach them to rejoice in the Lord. And you'll see that this is in the context of peace. In just a minute, you'll see that's the context. And it is a prison epistle. What would be a prison epistle? Prison epistle would be an epistle written from prison. So here we have Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who is in a Roman prison cell, and he is there because he has been preaching the gospel. And he says, friends, rejoice. And he's talking to people, these Philippians, who are believers in the Lord, who might be worried that they themselves might end up in a prison cell. He's saying, friends, rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. So it's not that their circumstances were easier than my circumstances or your circumstances. And it certainly is not that the Apostle Paul's circumstances were easier than my circumstances or your circumstances. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of getting it straight in my mind or all of us getting it straight in our head that this is the way it's going to be for me. I'm going to choose joy. 
What if you don't feel it? Some of you know that this past year, just recently, maybe two months ago, a man named Pastor Andrew Brunson was released from a Turkish prison. Andrew Brunson was in prison in Turkey for two years, and he had been there because he was accused of crimes against the state. The president of Turkey, President Erdogan, threatened him with 30 years of imprisonment. The rest of his life, potentially, he would spend in prison. He was there for two years, which wasn't the rest of his life. Life, praise God for that. But day after day and month after month, he did not know how it was going to go. Some of you may know that Andrew Brunson was in the same church in which I am ordained, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And so, of course, we were regularly praying for Andrew Brunson and often hearing updates about what was going on. One of the things that stuck in my mind, I hope I never forget this, was when we heard about a practice that Andrew Brunson practiced every day while in prison. Often he was in solitary confinement. Often he was feeling abandoned. And he did not think of himself as a model. He did not think of himself as a hero. He did not want to be there. He didn't know he was going to be the center of an international intriguing story. He was suffering in prison. So he made this choice. Dancing. He did. Andrew Brunson decided that while he was in prison, though he was feeling abandoned, though he was feeling alone, though he was worried that he would never get out, though he felt terrible, he decided that he would dance. It says in the Bible that David danced before the Lord. And so in solitary confinement and times when he didn't feel like dancing, he went through the motions. I don't know what his moves were. We have to kind of imagine this together. I'm not much of a dancer, but let's see what we can figure out. I suppose he probably lifted his arms into the air. Do you think he did? I think it makes sense. You're not really dancing when you're doing this, but it might have been one thing that he did, and so maybe in a, a cold prison cell, in the dark in the morning, he would stand up, and maybe he would lift his hands in the, in the air. And then I suppose maybe his eyes would be lifted to the heavens too. I actually don't know if there were any windows that he could see through to see either sun or stars, but I suppose he lifted his eyes, I suppose he lifted his hands, but it's not dancing until your feet move. And I suppose then that somehow he moved his feet, that somehow he swayed back and forth, and he might have spun around, and he has a, a, a good voice, a better voice than I have for singing. And so I suppose that while he was dancing and swaying, that he would sing out songs of praise to the Lord. And sometimes I'm sure there was motion, but no emotion. But he was doing it because he was choosing joy. I just don't think... The circumstances you're in or the circumstances you face next year are going to be tougher than that. I just don't think so. Maybe they will be. I, honestly, I don't know. I don't think any of you are, are in prison today. But as I look at you, you don't appear to be in prison. And yet there are other kinds of prisons. We sometimes back ourselves into corners, paint ourselves into a corner where 
there appears to be no options left, or somebody else has painted us into a corner that's even worse. You just don't see what the options are. You can't find gladness. You've looked for it. You can't find it. Maybe it seems to you as you look towards 2019, there's very little to look forward to. You feel like you're in some kind of a prison. So I encourage you on your pathway to that place of peace, following the Prince of Peace, I encourage you to choose joy and even dance. I don't know if dancing is allowed in church here, but, but maybe even in church. But some places at home, when you sometimes go through the motions, you do discover that later the emotion follows in its place. And I wonder if maybe there were some times, I hope to ask Andrew some, sometime uh, when I have a chance to meet him, I wonder if there were some times when he just went through the motions and nothing was happening. And then there were other times when maybe the joy of the Lord filled his soul. And all of a sudden, in the middle of a dark, dreary cell, he was the happiest man on earth, or so he felt. Choose joy. That's where we start. We choose something else. Next part of the passage, it's in verse 5. After it says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. Next part of the passage says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So we choose joy and we choose something else. It says reasonableness. Now I must confess to you that though I I study the ESV and use the ESV predominantly, I kept thinking about this word reasonableness, and it wasn't working for me. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Whoever the, the person was who put that in the ESV version, it was, I was having difficulty with it because, it, because the, the verse says, let your reasonableness be shown to everyone. So I was standing there imagining, okay, now I want you to see my reasonableness. Can you see it? Do you see it yet? How can I show reasonableness? So I thought, I wonder if there's another word that could work here. And I poked around in some of the other translations and came up with a word that I like better, forbearance. Some of the translations say, let your forbearance be known to everyone. Now you're sitting there going, yeah, forbearance doesn't work for me any more than reasonable. This works for you. But I'll tell you why I think I like forbearance. As I think about the word forbearance, and as I think about the the text that this is translated from, and kind of explore around in there, forbearance is a word that means tolerance or forgiveness. If I have a forbearing spirit, that instead of holding grudges against other people, I, I release other people. Instead of being upset that somebody makes a mistake, I somehow kind of remember that everybody makes mistakes. And you know what? Even I make mistakes sometimes. And so, I kind of try to live my life in such a way without holding things against people all of the time. So I feel like that's forbearance, and I feel like that's something that I can demonstrate. I think it's something that I can do. It's a challenge. It's a big challenge. But I feel it's something I can do. Now, and the reason that I think that, the, that this fits with the context here is because when I look, I just opened Isaiah not to, 
not to Philippians. Let me go back to Philippians. As I look at this passage, let me move that thing over here. A new Bible, new Bibles tend to close themselves when you set them down. Okay. Um, as I look at this passage here in Philippians, and I see where it says, let your forbearance be made known to everyone, I see that the context is this. If we had started reading in verse 2 rather than verse 4, we would have found an admonishment from the Apostle Paul to two sisters in the Lord who were arguing all the time. And Paul has to call them out by name. It's not the way I would have wanted my name to, to find its way into the New Testament, by the way. But he calls them out by name and has to tell them to agree to each, with each other. It's in verses 2 and 3. And he mentions about these women that they have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So these are not just a couple of women in the community who are outside arguing all the time. They're in the church. And Paul has to say, stop arguing. This is not the way to peace. The opposite of peace would be disharmony or rancor or disagreement. And here were a couple of ladies who were known, unfortunately, for their disagreement with each other. And he has to call them out on it. And so I'm asking, in your circles, are you a forbearing person? Is, is the experience of tolerance your experience in your family, in our church family, in your neighborhood? How about with the people that you are working with on a day-by-day -day basis, Monday through Friday or whatever your, your days or hours of work would be? Do you have a forbearing spirit towards them? And does this have something to do with peace? Yes, it has a lot to do with peace. Because what I'm talking about today is walking down a path in order to find a place of peace, following the Prince of Peace, and I'm saying the parts of this path are not easy to follow. It's not just one step, two step. There are steps down this path, and when we come to the place of forbearance, it can be a difficult place to be, and it can cause us to, to land there for a while. What does it have to do with peace? It has to do a lot with peace, because if I am... If I'm constantly carrying grudges, if I'm constantly dealing in my mind with anger against people who have done me wrong or I, who I think have done me wrong, it raises my stress level rather than reduces my stress level. I'm more anxious rather than less anxious. It would just be better for us as Christ followers to say, you know what, I have been forgiven. And since I have been forgiven, I have the power to forgive other people. Amen. I'm just going to make it a point to realize that other people make, make mistakes. I'm going to give them grace and let them make mistakes. And it is a missional thing. Yep. There is that, that wording in there, which is intriguing. And the wording says, let your in reasonableness or forbearance, as I'm saying it, let your reasonableness be known to everyone.
So a missional attitude means this is something that we do to help others who are not Christ followers to see something of Christ in me or something of Christ in you. So I want to just live by the, with the reminder constantly that everybody makes mistakes. I want to forgive others for making mistakes. I want to forgive myself for making mistakes. And I ask you to forgive yourself for making mistakes as well. And to move on down that path towards peace. Now let's look at the next phrase. The next phrase is a beautiful promise. It's in verse 5. The Lord is at hand. So what I've said so far is we need to choose joy. We need to choose forbearance. At this point, I feel like the right way to say this is that we need to practice the presence of God. That's a phrase from Brother Lawrence many centuries ago, but it's a good phrase. We want to learn to practice the presence of God and realize that God is near us, that God is with us. A couple of weeks ago, Tab was talking about how God is both transcendent, which is high above and even removed from us, and imminent, which is close and near to us. And in our minds, we wonder how could God be both transcendent and imminent at the same time? And I can't give you a great explanation of how it could both be true, but the Bible insists it's both true. And so we have these wonderful passages in the Bible about, how, about the nearness of God in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and, and you know, lying down in green pastures and leading me beside the still waters, waters and all that. It's the nearness of God. Your, your Bible translation might be different from the ESV, and it might say something different in that passage. Instead of saying the Lord is at hand, it might say the Lord is coming soon. Does anybody have a Bible translation that says that? Uh, three or four of them, I think, do. I don't know if any of them, uh, the, the modern ones do. But some of them say that the Lord is coming soon. And both translations are possible. It, it's possible that the author is speaking about the second coming of Christ. And in that case, we'd be thinking about how delightful it will be when we see the Prince of Peace in person. We don't have to just talk about him. But... I think that the translation that I'm going with, that the Lord is at hand, speaks to us about the nearness of God, seems to fit the context better because, again, of the overall idea of peace. We're following a, a path down towards peace, following the Prince of Peace, getting to a place where the Prince of Peace then can give us a sense of tranquility and help us to deal with the stressors and the sources of anxiety that are in our way. So it is the nearness of God that I would like to emphasize here. It is the presence of God. And so the practice of the presence of God is just the awareness that I have and that you have that the Holy Spirit is not with us just when we gather together in church on Sunday mornings. Sometimes that's the time I feel the Holy Spirit more than any time, I think. When I gather together with other people who love singing and praying and, 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 and seeking God, my, my spirit just soars. And I feel the presence of God there, but the practice of the presence of God says that God is near me on Tuesday morning and on Thursday evening and on Sunday night as well as on Sunday morning, that God is with me all of the time. And it seems like it would be very important for us to agree on something here. This is something I always forget. Maybe you forget it too. That if God is with us all of the time, that means he's with us in the good places, and it means he's with us in the tough places. Can we agree together that this is true? Yes. 
Hallelujah! The God is with us all the time and in all places. In my puny little brain and my weak little heart, I have this idea that God is really here on Sunday mornings, but I could name some places or some times when I don't think God is there at all. Like when I'm in a traffic jam, oh, I am sure God is not anywhere present, nowhere present at, at all. When I'm sick, oh, I blame God, but I don't think he's there with me. And I feel like in my mind there's this crazy disconnect between times when I feel good and times when I feel bad. And when I feel good, I think God is with me. And when I feel bad, I think he's not. Maybe I'm the only one who's that way, but you might be the same way. So we have to agree together that when we talk about practicing the presence of God, we mean it 24-7. I want to just show, give you a couple of biblical examples of this. Think about a very special event that happened around the time when Jesus became about 30 years of age. John, the baptizer, was out in the, out in the desert. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River. Oh, thousands of people were following John. He had a great reputation. Jesus goes out into the wilderness area there, out in the Jordan. He sees John baptizing. And he says to John, that I want you to baptize me. John says, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. What are you talking about? But Jesus insists. And so John, out of obedience, baptizes Jesus. And oh, what a scene. You could hear a voice from heaven. And the voice says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Wow. A dove descends from the sky, lights upon Jesus. It's not just a dove, it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus and everybody sees this. It was a great day. It was a glorious day. I want to ask those of you who know the Bible storyline pretty well in the New Testament, what is the very next thing that happens to Jesus after the baptism? The temptation. The very next thing that happens in the gospel accounts is that after this glorious day, the same little innocent doves that, that comes down and lights upon Jesus drives him out into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights during which he has no food and no water. We don't know of any other ex example in the Bible of somebody going 40 days without food and without water. Jesus is driven to his limit. What's he doing out here? Spirit drove him out here. The Spirit brought him out here. And so in this place, he has to practice the presence of God. Well, okay, it was easier for him because he was the Son of God and I'm not the Son of God. But listen, it was tougher for him because he was in the worst spot of temptation and the most desperate place that anybody could ever be in. I've never been tempted like that. I've never been driven to such a desolate place. But God was with him just the same there. It's the same spirit. It's the same Heavenly Father. He still is in God's will. He didn't end up in the desert because of sins that he committed. He was sinless. 
He ends up in the desert because the Spirit of God drives him out into the desert for a purpose that God has for him. It doesn't seem fair, and it doesn't even seem right, but it's true. Practice of the presence of God means that you're sensing the, the, the reality of God, the nearness of God, the experience of God when he is obviously there and, and when it's almost like you could close your eyes and reach up and touch him. And the practice of the, the presence of God is experiencing God in those other times as well. Let me give you another biblical example. 23rd Psalm. Many of us have the 23rd Psalm memorized. But let's just turn to the 23rd Psalm. We have a couple minutes to do this. Psalm 23. Tap on your phone if necessary. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now that's where I want to be. I want to be in the green pastures. He makes me to lie, to, he leads me beside still waters. That's where I want him to lead me, beside the still waters. Thank you for doing that. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The psalm could end there as far as I'm concerned, but it doesn't. Forgive my King James. But the next thing that happens is, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Death? Oh, no, 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 I do not want God to lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. No, 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 no. I like it much better over here where there are green pastures and still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. So David, how did David get to the, in the valley of the shadow of death? God led him there. God is with him there. Thou preparest a table before me. Forgive my King James. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I don't have an appetite in the presence of mine enemies. Can't I go eat at McDonald's instead? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. And so David sees that this God is with him in the green pastures and in the valley of the shadow of death and at all places. Because thankfully, David was enabled to see better than I can see that God is with us at all times. And so the practice of the presence of God is just that awareness that every day, Every hour, every place. Oh, are there places that we run into by ourselves because of our, our own willful sin and we get in trouble there? Yes, there are. But I'm really not speaking about places like that today. I'm speaking about ways that we find ourselves in a thorny patch, being afraid that God booted us off of the, the easy path while he's still sitting there in the green pastures enjoying himself and we have to sit out of here in the, in the thorns. And I am saying that God sometimes leads us into the thorny patch intentionally. And so the challenge for me, the challenge for you, if I ever want to get to a place of peace and tranquility, I've got to get to that place where I'm practicing the presence of God all the time. This is what I've said so far. I've said we choose joy. We have to choose joy. 
Sometimes you don't feel joy, but you choose joy. And I've said we have to choose forbearance. I just can't go around holding grudges against people. Just can't go around being mad at people. I've got to forgive as I've been forgiven. I'm saying we practice the presence of God. And I haven't even yet got to the passage in these verses that speaks about peace. We've been coming to it slowly, but I wanted you to see the context. And now we come to these two great verses, verses 6 and 7 in Philippians 4, that many of us have memorized. If you have not memorized these verses, please memorize them. And if somebody says, I can't memorize, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You have memorized a lot of things. (laughs) You can memorize uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and it will help you a lot if you do. Let me just introduce those two verses by saying this. We can make things too complicated. We always make things too complicated. And I guess it's easy to make things complicated in the society we live in today because we live in the most complex, complicated society there has ever been. I don't think throughout history there has been a a society halfway as complex as ours. And so we overthink things, we complicate things, and that can happen when it comes to dealing with anxiety. So somebody says, well, I'm really struggling with anxiety. And so somebody else says, well, have you tried medication? So you go to the doctor and you get some medication, then you look at the little warning label that comes with the medication, and you see all the side effects. You're more stressed out about the side effects than you were before. Maybe it's right for you to take medication, but I'm just saying sometimes you can overcomplicate things. Or maybe you decide you're going to sign up for a yoga class. Yoga classes are recommended by many people, and so there's a place nearby your house, and they have yoga classes. Great. You've decided New Year's resolution. You're going to go to yoga classes all the time. So you stop there. You get the schedule. You take a look at the schedule. Now you're stressed out because that schedule doesn't match your schedule. You still have anxiety. We can overcomplicate things. But here is a simple and beautiful solution to anxiety. It is in verses 6 and 7 which say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. We can't be thankful for all things, but we can be thankful in all things. God, I thank you for the thorny patch even that I'm in right now. God, I thank you even that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, I have to tell you. I have to tell you. There have been times when I have been in hospital rooms with patients who are not going to make it, and they know they're not going to make it. And sometimes they have the most beautiful sense of peace there could ever be. Oh, they're just, they just satisfied with where they are because their hearts are thankful. They're thankful for a good life that they've had. They're thankful for blessings. They're thankful looking forward to what's going to happen after they pass from this world into the next world and the good things that are just around the corner for them. And I'm standing there envying the great sense of peace that they have. That, that sense of peace is spoken about here. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
Prayer is the more general word, supplication is a more specific word. Supplication is when you specifically ask for something. The requests would be the specific things you could ask for. Uh, there are many times in my life I haven't known what to ask for. Uh, if I have a specific request, great, I can take it to God, but sometimes it's more of a general complaint. I don't know what to pray for. Maybe I can be thankful in the situation, and maybe requests come to mind, but when we have requests, we just bring them to God. In other words, I take things to the Heavenly Father. And that's what I want to do. I want to take things to the Heavenly Father. And so carrying this pack on our back with all of this burden and all of these stresses and things weighing us down, we let the Father take the pack off the back. We say, God, I, I can't do this. I need help with this. I'm not going to get through school if you don't help me. I, I, I can't feed my family if I don't have a job. Right. Uh, I, I don't know what to say to my roommate when, when he or she says that. I don't know what to do. God, can you help me? Yes. Let your requests be made known unto God. And here comes this promise. Glad you're sitting down because it'll blow you away if you're not. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. The peace of God transcends all understanding. It is beyond understanding. How can somebody be at peace when all the circumstances around them are, are, just, are just falling down? How can Jesus be sleeping on a cushion when he's on that boat and the boat is about ready to capsize and all the disciples are saying, don't you care if we drown? He has to wake up like, what's going on? I was taking a nap. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts. What's that mean? Guards your emotions. Guard your hearts, guard your minds. What does that mean? Keep it from thinking all these darn thoughts that we really don't need to think. All these self-deprecating thoughts about ourselves. Oh, I made a terrible mistake last time. My whole life is ruined because of my terrible mistake. I'm not going to try again. I give up. I quit. I give up. I'm no good. But God can protect our hearts. And our minds, in a way that you can't even understand, through something as simple as prayer. Yes. So, I've been in church all my life, honestly. I've been in church all my life, and I'm older than I look. So, I know, I have been, I heard so many sermons on prayer, and I've delivered quite a few sermons on prayer. And you know, it's one of the areas where we always kind of feel guilty. Because if you ask somebody, do you pray enough, they'll always say, well, no, I don't. I really need to pray more. So let's just set the guilt aside for a moment and not have a guilt trip about this and just celebrate this and say, hey, we found something really fantastic, a way to deal with anxiety. We just bring our requests to God. And there's this, past, there's this peace that passes all understanding, and we leave it to him. This passage does not say that God is going to answer every one of those requests. Now, there are some passages in the Bible where it, get, it guarantees or seems to guarantee that no matter what you ask for, you will get it. But this passage that we're in today doesn't say he's going to answer all those requests. doesn't say he's going to answer all those requests the way you think he's going to answer all those requests. What does it say? Bring your requests to God. Now, I don't have to worry about it anymore because God has it. 
God is handling it. It's not on my shoulders anymore. It's on his shoulders. And now we need to pray. Because verses 6 and 7 say that we need to pray. The last thing we want to do, the worst thing would be, is if we talk about pray, praying and then not pray. So I'm going to close in prayer today. My prayer is going to be a little bit, a little bit more specific than a prayer normally might be at the end of the sermon because I want to think through some of these things we've been talking about today. And I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me. I don't know where in this passage you find yourself or maybe you're dotted all over the place. But we'd like to take some time to bring our requests to God so that we can experience that amazing peace that passes understanding. Let's quiet our hearts and minds, and let's bow before the Lord, and let's just pause for a moment, dwell with him, look to him, and let me pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we delight in you, the Prince of Peace. Oh, we find our joy in you. The joy of the Lord is the sweetest of joys. We find gladness in our hearts today as we think about the Savior who has died on the cross for us, who has risen from the dead, who lives still. This beautiful Savior, we delight ourselves in the Lord. But I pray today specifically, Lord, for those who may be here for whom that joy is missing. We don't know why it's missing. I know that sometimes there have been joys that have supplanted the joy of the Lord in my experience. And because I get excited about maybe the wrong things, it seems like maybe sometimes I don't have any, left, any excitement left for the, the things that are most important. I don't know if that's their situation, but if it is, Lord, please give us a perspective now to see that there is one highest joy, there, there, is, there is one love, there is one God to whom uh, all of this delight belongs, and we lift you up and we praise you. Each of us desires to choose joy, and I'm asking that you would give gladness in our hearts so that we may do so. Yes. Lord, I also want to pray that we would have a forbearing, forgiving, tolerant heart. I want to pray for those who may be here today who are stressing themselves out because maybe for a lack of forgiveness. I don't know. It could be. Is there a family member that they have not forgiven? Is there a member of this church they have not forgiven? Is there somebody at work who really does mess up all the time? And I don't know why that person is still employed, but they're still there. And somehow you are sovereign over all of that. And is it possible that just in their hearts, they just can't get over this? They just can't get past this? Please, Lord, grant to us forbearance. Grant to us forgiveness as we dwell upon the forgiveness that we have in Christ, please enable us to forgive others. Please, Lord. We need this. We need this. Our, 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 our state of mind, our mental health depends upon it. Lord, also, for the practice of the presence of God, 
for the awareness that you are with us at all times. We are asking for this. We are praying for this. Oh, I am praying for it. I am praying for it. So that I would not make that silly mistake of thinking that God is present in church, but the rest of the time I'm on my own. No, 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 no. For those times which are ahead of us, where there will be trials and there will be challenges, as Joshua was alluding to earlier this morning, yeah, 2019 is going to be like that. Even in those places, even in the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, would you please walk with us and give us the awareness of it. Please give us the awareness of that at all times. And this anxiety that we carry, the worries that we have, the stressors that we can't seem to deal with. I am praying for those who are here today who are carrying anxiety and they've been carrying anxiety and maybe some of these other alternatives that they've tried have just left them empty and they're still anxious. We're asking for a miracle today. We're asking that the God who eliminates anxiety would dispel this anxiety through prayer. Dispel it. That it would be gone. The way, Lord Jesus, you cast out demons and they were gone. Cast out this anxiety. Cast out this sense of stress. Cast out these fears. Cast out these worries. Please. Bring us to a place of peace where we can simply lift our eyes to our Heavenly Father, make a request to you, leave the problem with you, and go on our way trusting that you will do your perfect work in that situation. So, Lord, I ask you for these things, for me, for each of us who is here today, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.